God hath given his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The flowers and relics are gone, the organ is hushed, and altar and priest are clad in violet. The joys of Christmas are now long behind us. And yet today is not a day of mourning, for Good Friday is still afar off. The emotion which the Church wishes to stir in our souls and the virtue which she wishes us to practice today is hope. There is a touching, almost childlike poem of the Syrian Church Father St. Ephraim which recounts today's gospel from the perspective of the devil. The devil vents his frustration over having to learn so many passages of scripture in order to tempt Christ, only to find that his efforts were in vain. Truly we know that if we are with Christ, the devils can do nothing to us except to exercise our virtue. In fact, the devil only had to learn one verse of scripture for his infernal mission. But the verse comes from a longer psalm, and it is precisely that verse and that psalm which the church makes her theme for the entire Lenten season. He hath given his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. It is the great 90th psalm, the psalm of hope which the church has always sung in the office of Compline as a prayer before going to sleep. The entire psalm is sung today as the extraordinary long tract before today's gospel, the church vaunting, as it were, over the devil in his futile efforts. He that dwelleth in the aid of the Most High shall abide under the protection of the God of Jacob. He shall say to the Lord, Thou art my protector and my refuge. My God, in him will I trust. Verses of this psalm will be recited by the church every day from now until Passion Sunday at every hour. We cannot make our Lenten journey and arrive at the empty tomb without a burning hope in God's love and grace. Hope is a natural part of being human. Already the pagan philosophers numbered it amongst the passions of the soul. Aristotle defined it as the desire for a future good, which is difficult but possible to obtain. For Christians, it is far more. Hope is the virtue infused by God into the soul by which we look with trust for eternal salvation and the merits and the means to obtain it. We see then that hope is not the same as the virtue of faith, for faith, according to Catholic teaching, is not a mere trust in God. St. Paul describes the relation between the two virtues in calling faith the substance of things hoped for. He says that no one hopes for things which he already sees. We hope for things which are the object of faith, that free assent of the human intellect to revealed truth which it accepts on God's authority. 
We should see as well that hope is certainly not a synonym for optimism or wishful thinking. Hope is what allows us to bear the words of our Savior, whosoever would be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It is this virtue which inspires the church in the responsory she sings at matins during this season, which has been set to polyphony by composers as well. Paradisi portas. The season of fasting hath opened unto us the gates of paradise. Let us embrace it in prayer and supplication, that we may glory with the Lord on the day of his resurrection. Hope is also the foundation of the third theological virtue here on earth, the virtue which will remain in us for all eternity, even after we see God in the face and faith and hope take their bow, the virtue of charity. St. Thomas explains that as soon as we hope to receive something from a person, we begin to love that person. That is how children learn to love their parents, even before they can call them by name. And if we consider all that we hope to receive from the divine person who became man, shared in our joys and sorrows, suffered and died for us, and now waits to take us to his glory, how can we not be on fire with love for him? How can we not love a God who created us in love, adopted us by touching our souls with his love, which is called grace, pursued us with love when we spurned his love, became one of us to show us his love, and then offered his death at our hands as the price of regaining his love? This is the ultimate tale of love the tale of the Divine Bridegroom, for that is the title given by the Eastern Church to the icon of Christ, scourged, mocked, spat upon, and crowned with thorns, or Nymphios, the Bridegroom, gazing, gazing with meekest eyes upon his bride, sinful humanity. Our race is implicated in the most foul, cosmic rebellion against adorable divine love. And this love will not destroy anything it has created. God will not crush the wills of his enemies. He will not destroy our free, rational nature and compel from us a mere atomic attraction. Instead, he builds a hell so that those who choose may freely exist in hatred of him. The souls of the damned upon being judged do not plead for mercy as they are dangled over the fiery abyss. They rush to their eternal abode, for their will is forever fixed against their loving creator. This fear of God as our judge, the fear of hell, is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end. The hopeful Christian doesn't worry about going to hell, for we're not supposed to worry about anything. During this season, 
We offer special veneration to our mother of sorrows, not our mother of worries. A loyal and loving son doesn't just worry about getting in trouble for his misdeeds. He considers that his sins have been the cause of his mother's sorrow, and he repents. If during our 40 days in the desert we rend our hearts and turn at last to God, we shall find no stern judge before us, but a gentle Savior whose love conquers all. It is God's voice we hear as today's psalm concludes, Because he hoped in me, I will deliver him. I will protect him, because he hath known my name. He shall cry to me, and I will hear him. I am with him in tribulation. I will deliver him, and I will glorify him. I will fill him with length of days, and I will show him my salvation. Amen.